Welcome to Other You, a podcast where we discuss a decision in our lives that may or may not have had a long-lasting impact. We unpack some of the factors behind it and then explore in short story form what the other version of ourselves might have experienced around that time or shortly thereafter. I'm your host, Dee. Let's see where this story takes us. Welcome back. I'm Daniel Moreno. This is Other You. Today we're featuring a cousin of mine, Tony, uh, Tony Moore. This episode will be called Other Tony. We're going to explore a decision in Tony's life. We're going to see uh, where the decision took him, and we'll find out some background of where Other Tony may have gone had he made a different choice. Welcome to the program, Tony. Thanks for being here. Yeah, it's good to be here. Is this like the mirror universe from Star Trek, where I get like the black goatee or a scar or something? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The so the the idea. I mean, I can add any like quirky anything that you want um so what well, i will ask you all the questions you tell me everything that we're going to give other tony and make his adventure beautiful how, how have you been not bad not bad of living that quarantine hermit life mm, the best of lives the best of lives is it it's all right yeah. <laughs> you got a garden right yeah, I mean, we're picking off all, all kinds of those like outstanding honeydew list projects that have eluded us for the last like six years. Hmm. So, yeah, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, never a dull moment. Yeah. So, uh, for those of you that are listening and don't know what we're talking about, uh, we are in the middle of the coronavirus quarantine of 2020. <laughs> <laughs> Just in case. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. I've lost count already. Yeah. It's been at least a million and a half years. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I keep forgetting it's only been four months at this point. And it's even after like three weeks, I was like, wait, what year are we in right now? Yeah. Yeah. It's perplexing. Time plays games with us. Like, you know how internet time always felt like it moved really fast? Yeah. You know, because that was that really just last week? Like that's just regular life now. Yeah. Um and like that, that and in slow motion at the same time. We're like yeah. like we're trapped in that void from Superman. Yeah. Oh man. There was there was a point yeah. in May where like for a whole week straight I was completely lost on what day it was. Mm-hmm. Like every <laughs> we have a calendar on the fridge that is always months behind, just we just mm-hmm. never change it. Um, and so I had no idea what day it was ever. And even though like I'm sitting at a computer and it's displayed in the bottom right corner of the right. computer. <laughs> and I still have no idea what day it is. So awesome. Yeah. All right, my man. Let's let's get into it. Uh, have you come up with a decision that we can explore? Man, I don't know. Like, I mean, there's a few kind of weird pivotal small things that could have changed my whole life's direction. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't really know. Uh, okay. Well, let's... Like I, don't, I don't know kind of what you're, you know, what you were hoping for after whatever. Literally um, anything. So um, any decision that you've made that you can see has had like a, a long lasting effect, right? So the mm-hmm. my, my favorite example of this, and I'm sure if you're listening, you may have heard me say this. Uh, as a kid, if you could have gone to band camp or soccer camp, 
and you chose soccer camp, right? You made your, you right. met this kid, you guys became best friends and you were best friends for like 20 years. Uh, if you went to band camp, you probably never would have met that kid. You might have a different friend. Uh, you might meet that kid years later if you stayed in like the same town, but that, it's that sort of thing. So it doesn't have to be like, oh, you know, mm -hmm. I was either going to go and join the military and go off to war or, you know, say I had bone spurs, <gasps> zing, <laughs> you know, uh, anything like that, you know? So like one of my buddies, when I asked him, he said that his dad gave him a choice, go to college, uh, move out or join the military. And so, I mean, that's, that's a pretty major one, but it doesn't have to be anything that cut and dry. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of like, it's funny because both of those were kind of ones I was thinking, uh, like with my summers in high school Yeah. or like, uh, at the end of seventh grade, like going into eighth grade, um, I didn't really know what I was going to do with like my time. Mm -hmm. I was probably just going to like be at home and work. Right. And, um, the band teacher asked if any eighth, like people going into eighth grade wanted to join marching band. So I was like, yeah, sure. I'll do that. Um, and that did kind of change, you know, like I met a lot of people and it kind of informed my work ethic and yeah. a lot of things. Um, so, I mean, that would have been a big major change. And then conversely, like, you know, when I was around 17, I, I thought I was probably going to join the National Guard just because everybody in my family had joined the Army. So I thought oh. that was just what you, I just thought that was what you did. Yeah. Um, and then one of my friends was like, why, why would you do that? And I, it was the first time I was just going to do it. Like I yeah. hadn't even like, I hadn't even questioned it yeah. at that point. I just thought it was what you did. And yeah. And I was like, why would I do that? And then, yeah. All right. Um, you know what or, we can do? You know, art, you can, art you school can... versus whatever. I don't know. There's like a lot of different ones. I think, okay, well, let's, let's, since those are the first two that came up, let's go ahead and we'll do, um, you'll be the first one to get uh, a choice and then a divergent choice, right? So we're going to say <laughs> the choice to um, join music. Or join band rather, not join music. Mm -hmm. um, let's say you're gonna you join band, and you're the the option whether or not to join the National Guard. Mm. All right, all right. So, um, join you join band in junior high, right? Seventh, eighth grade, something like that. Yeah, it was in the summer between seventh and eighth grade. Okay, uh, and where'd you grow up? I grew up in a little town called Cynthiana, Kentucky. It's about halfway between Cincinnati and Lexington, Kentucky. Okay. So it's right. about an hour and a half from anywhere. Yeah. All right. So yeah, being so um, secluded from, from like major city centers, what was life like in Cynthiana? Like what, what were typical days like for you down there? Um, you know, it, it was kind of like that. Like in town, it was a very kind of like Andy Griffith type existence, you know, like mm -hmm. small town, pretty much nothing happened. Um, you know, the paper came out once a week and it was half obituaries. Um, 
<laughs> like that was the news in the town. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, like my specific life, um, you know, we lived out on a farm. Um, my, my granddad was retired and was kind of, you know, doing a little subsistence farming. And, um, uh, you know, when we had downtime, that's, that's what we were doing. Like if we weren't at school, we were out, you know, like working in a garden or putting, uh, irrigation pipes in for a tobacco field or, hmm. you know, working the tobacco or, you know, doing farm shit. Had you ever, um, thought maybe like that was something that you would end up doing like after schooling, like just take over the farm and live the farm life? No, like it pretty much as soon as I, as soon as it was, it was something that I was like obligated to do. I hated it. And all I wanted was to be away from it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And so, yeah. And like the older I got, like, as you know, as I got into my teenage years, especially like all I wanted was to never set foot on the farm again. And, uh, and then here I am. I've turned around and done it again. Yeah. How much is it? Are you an angry farmer? Do you like till the ground angrily because you're like, <laughs> I'm back at this shit again? Oh, no. Usually, like, my anger toward the work is that, you know, I've got like 10 other things I have to try to get done, like, in a gotcha. time sensitive manner. Like, right. these plants got to get in the ground, but this week, God damn it, <laughs> I've got a deadline and I've got like five other things I got to get done. Yeah. You know, I mean, I laugh at the kind of the ridiculousness of how much I wanted to get away from it. And then mm-hmm. the older I get, the more I realized it's what I always wanted. And like, I swore I would never do it to my kid. And then here we are. <laughs> here you are. I love it. Uh, so what kind of what kind of things were you into as a kid in seventh grade? If, if bands was something that popped up into your life uh, uh some of the hobbies you had well i mean that was so my seventh grade year was the year that image comics launched um mm-hmm. and so you know i was i was super into comics and art and drawing and you know cartoons and stuff like that mm-hmm. um and uh and image comics launched and it like blew my little mind and uh so that ate up most of my bandwidth, just mm-hmm. like consciously. I was I was completely uh, immersed in, in comics and art and drawing. Nice. Um, but I was like kind of, you know, discovering music, you know, because you're kind of at that age where mm-hmm. um, certain things, you know, have kind of stuck with you a little bit. Like I was not really super into punk and uh metal at that point but um like gangster rap was really exciting to me yeah and uh um and then kind of through that punk and metal started to kind of seep in Mm -hmm. um and then it's where i kind of realized like how much i enjoyed things that made people uncomfortable um so um I mean, like I grew up in reading Mad Magazine and stuff, and you know, I was always told like that's not for you when I was little and stuff like that. Uh, so, um, yeah, when I realized like it's the things that make commentary on stuff that make people upset 
and then um, sometimes just the act of making them upset is kind of the thing in itself. Like it yeah. kind of becomes its own little commentary. Um, and so, yeah, when I realized how much I enjoyed that, uh, then, then it all kind of started to swirl together. So, uh, as a kid getting into comics, were you the kid that sat down on the floor at the comic shop and just kind of poured over what was there? Or were you the one that relished, hey, it's it's Friday, I'm going to go buy a comic and just memorize this, essentially, reading it so many times? Um, well, kind of both. Um, at, uh, at that age, like, my access to comics was mostly still from the, um, like, the... Uh, the local pharmacy, mm-hmm. like the magazine rack at the pharmacy. Oh, no kidding. Okay. Which in the 90s, like, was a pretty healthy selection, surprisingly, given the, the yeah. town, you know? Like, I, I got my copy of Spawn Number 1 off the newsstand what? At, the, at the pharmacy. Um, That's amazing. You know, so it was, it was weird. I mean, like, and it was, like, at the time, like, a collector you know, the speculator market and stuff was huge. And so like newsstand editions were kind of looked down upon versus direct market editions because right. newsstand editions all had that big, ugly UPC on the cover and the, mm-hmm. the comic shop versions didn't. Um, and so all of my comics had those. And then I had a, uh, a buddy who got all of his from the comic shop and he was like, right. uh, so I was like a scrub, right. um, even though they were the same fucking books. Right. Sorry, I don't know how blue I can get here. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, like so, my my granddad, our our pharmacy was like like a like an Andy Griffith style pharmacy. Like you didn't just go get your money for your um, your medicine there. Like it had like a lunch counter and mm. stuff like that. And so my granddad would go sometimes and just sit at the counter there and drink coffee with his friends and sit and bullshit. And so. I had nothing but hours on my hands to mill around a, um, you know, mm-hmm. just a, an average size little shop. It wasn't even like, it's not even like as big as like a regular like CVS or Walgreens. It was yeah. like, you know, a small town store. Yeah. Um, and so I just camped out in front of the comics and read every one of them. And usually my granddad would buy like, you know, one or two maybe, uh, you know, as like a reward for not, you know, being a shit. Right. And and that was it. Thanks for not ruining my day. Here's a comic book. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He was like, hey, you're easy to take care of. Like, you know, <laughs> I just, just camp out here and read all these books for free. Like, it's a library. And... <laughs> yeah, I was, I was totally the kid that went. So before grocery stores started, um, well, I guess before uh, distributors started sending them magazines in plastic wrap, I would just go to the grocery store and hang out in the magazine aisle and just read comics. Any comic mm-hmm. that was there, it didn't matter. I was I was reading through it. I was mm-hmm. reading through it. And then when they started putting plastic, that's when I, I graduated to uh, Barnes & Noble. Mm-hmm. And I would hang out there until they put plastic <laughs> on theirs. So, yeah. Oh, man. So, uh, Image. Were you were were you a big fan of everything they put out? Did you gravitate to one or two? My favorites were uh, Pit, Max, and Spawn. I guess those were like probably amongst the yeah. Most I was I was pretty big on all three of those because uh, I love I, I generally follow creators more than titles. Okay. 
but that's what I liked about Image was the, the title was the creator, you know, like mm -hmm. Spawn without Todd McFarlane just wouldn't have been Spawn, like especially early on, you know, like when they're, if they were just trading out dudes, like, you know, the other companies did all the yeah. time, you know, it wouldn't have had like a voice and that's what made it for me. It's what was super exciting. I mean, Greg Capolo came in and, you know, made Spawn kind of his own, put his own stamp on it, but, um, um, you know, like, yeah, like Savage Dragon was Eric Larson, yeah. Pitt was Dale Keown, like all these, you know, it was the, the relationship between the creator and the product was part of what made that like special, you know, yeah. like the creators weren't these cogs that could be just interchanged or whatever. Mm. So yeah, I like I I liked uh, yeah I loved Pitt I loved um, I mean I tried to buy as many of them as I could. Yeah. Uh, Spawn was a big a big one for me just because I loved McFarlane. I kind of loved his um, his like kind of weird cartoony sensibilities and then like all the like grit and texture at the same time. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, but I I also really loved Jim Lee uh, from X-Men and so I, I, I enjoyed Wildcats quite a bit um, then there was uh, oh shit what's the name oh my god why can I not summon this it's like Hellshock, Hellshock. I was like hell, hell uh, yeah this guy named Jay Lee who was like barely older than me which is crazy so like oh, wow. he was probably high school age when he was putting out these books what? at Mar at marvel and then becoming like a you know young gun over at uh uh at image wow. but uh uh yeah i just i loved his like i don't know there's something about his characters they were all like really gaunt but like you know intimidating and scary at the same time and the I don't know the draftsmanship was all it was all really nice and then it was colored like it wasn't traditional coloring or like computer colors it was uh watercolors that had been like kind of reworked into the comic color I don't know man it just blew me away like yeah. all of it that's amazing I love it um so how long did you end up playing music uh pretty much all the way through high school um as much as i wanted to in college i just didn't have the uh i just i didn't have the the slots in my schedule to to be able to mm -hmm. so but yeah uh from from seventh grade all the way through my senior year i, I was in in band which at our school, um, if you were in concert band, you were probably also in the marching band, and you were probably also in um, like the pep band for the base or for the basketball games and football games. But hmm. pep band was kind of like um, if you like, you no one was obligated to do it, but. Hmm every time a game was coming up the director would just like plead with us like please will someone come 
<laughs> like, who, who do I have? I only got like one trumpet. Can I please get like four more of you guys to show up? And <laughs> it was just like a constant pleading to, to get us to be there. Oh, man. Um, foot, football games were a little easier to wrangle us because we had to be there because we would march the halftime show as practice for our competitions. Uh, so it was a lot easier. To, it was a lot easier. Yeah, we were a little more of a captive uh, audience or just fish in a barrel for that. But yeah, basketball games especially. It was like, please, just somebody come. Um, That's funny you say that. You know, and I was I was happy to be out of the house. Yeah. So I did all of them. What did you What did you play? Uh, I started on trumpet uh, when I was in seventh grade and. Um, uh, by the time I was a freshman, I switched over to French horn. Oh, that's cool. Was it was taps the first thing you learned on trumpet? No, nah, I think it was something stupid like hot cross buns or something. <laughs> cross like <laughs> something from one of those little, uh, you know, like rudimentary music uh, workbooks. Yeah. Right. Uh, when did you When did you uh, make the decision not? to join the National Guard? Or when did you have that conversation? Uh, well, it was like when I was coming up around my 18th birthday and we were talking about, you know, I was going to have to register for selective service. And uh, um, my uncle was in the Guard mm-hmm. and, uh, and he was pretty well connected with all the guys there. And, you know, they'd have like the recruitment guys set up in the high school and i remember one of the guys i didn't know him from adam but he knew me hmm. um and he was like hey tony you guys you gonna come you know you get you gonna come sign up when time comes so i know your uncle would be pretty thrilled to see you out there and i know we would too and it just like it was that kind of like the familiarity it just it all yeah. just made it feel like it was just this track that was just yeah. gonna happen you know mm-hmm. it was it was weird. Um, yeah, and it, it just I was just kind of like in the flow, and I just never questioned it really until one of my friends was like, why would you do that? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like I had reasons why I would do that because honestly, I didn't really think I would, um, I didn't think I was going to get like scholarships for college. Right. And, um, and, we sure as hell didn't have like a college fund for yeah. for me to go. Um, and uh, yeah, I just, I figured it was probably the, the best way to, you know, get the money and like actually make it happen. Hmm. And it just felt like, yeah, it was just the way I was going to be able to do the things that I had thought I would do. If you would, if you would have gotten a scholarship to college, uh, what would you have pursued? Would it have been music? Would it have been art maybe? Well, it's ultimately what did kind of set me on the direction that I went. Um, I I thought probably art wasn't going to be a viable career. Um, and I was also a pretty big science nerd. Um, like in middle school, I was part of this um, academic team and we had a competition team that went to this thing called the Governor's Cup, which was basically like, um, it's like taking standardized tests um, competitively. 
That sounds so, thrilling. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's like real panty melting stuff. Like just, just <laughs> pure rock and roll. Uh, oh, so, so yeah, I, um, I, I did that. I, I went to the state level doing um, science competition for my school. Wow. Um, when did you start doing that? Oh, um, around the time I started getting too cool for stuff. Okay. I, I was around eighth grade. I think was when I uh, when I left when I quit academic team. I was in eighth grade. Gotcha. Um, so this was all I just around wanted. the same time. The yeah, time yeah, it's all science uh-huh all right um okay. and but i mean like I, I quit the academic team but i still stayed pretty actively um you know pursuant after uh you know studying science and stuff mm-hmm. and i thought uh, going into college that i might um that, that science would probably be a more viable career and that you know i was kind of cut out for it. I thought I could probably do it. I enjoyed it. And um, there was a, a forensic school from Knoxville, Tennessee came up and did a um, presentation. At our, uh, yeah, and they had like a slideshow and they were just trying to recruit like scientifically minded kids that might want to come study forensics. And like I was already like a huge horror movie nerd and so that type of stuff was exciting to me like and crime and stuff like that and i grew up on a farm so like gross was not really like that something that like really wigged me out yeah because i was used to that every day right um and it was science and i was like you know i'd be like a i mean that'd be kind of heroic you know i'd be like doing like a real good and yeah. and doing science stuff would be fun and uh so i watched that first presentation of the day i was like my first class of the day had to go watch that presentation and then i skipped my classes all day and just sat in that auditorium and watched that presentation six times in a row uh, because i was i was i was so enamored with it i i was by the end of the day i was convinced that's what i was gonna do oh wow and uh this is this is high school yeah that was um that was yeah probably it was junior year. It was around the time kids were applying for college. Right. So and, that's like 97, um, 96, 97, something like that? Yeah, it would have been... Uh, Mid to That would have been probably the, the beginning of 96. Okay. I graduated in 97. Um, so was, so that, was that around the time of... Um, what's that show? CSI? Is that... Did that come out later? Because I remember like tail end of high school-ish... Uh, the idea of like forensic science becoming more popular, and I wonder if yeah. I can't remember if that is about when CSI started. I can't remember if CSI was on the air then or not. I feel like if it was and it was a major part of my like thought process, I would remember that. But it wasn't so much really. Oh, I just okay. I, like I like I like detective stuff, you know, like Batman, Sherlock Holmes. And, yeah. Um, you know, I just, I don't know. I was, I was really into that, like problem solving and, and it all just kind of felt good, you know? Right. And then I thought, Hey, you know, like I want to be an artist on the side. I'll, you know, there's plenty of scientists and whatever that are, you know, artistically 
right. inclined that, you know, play violin or paint or whatever, you know, to like keep themselves happy and, you know, can be really good at it. You know, it's like how Brian May was the guitar player for Queen and worked on the Mars Rover. Like, right. you know, it's like people can do that. Sure. Why not? Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> So, but, so that being said, what yeah. was what was the deciding factor to get you? Maybe that's my uh, maybe that's my split. Maybe it's not the music. Maybe it's, it's maybe not. that's where I chose. Because so you were all set in your head to do um, forensic science in college. Oh yeah. Uh, so I sub- I submitted a portfolio to the art academy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I'd seen like their uh, brochures and stuff, and I didn't really think I would. Uh, you know, really be cut out for, for that as much as I wanted to. Um, but moreover, I didn't think I would, there was no way in hell I'd be able to afford a private art college. Mm. Like, cause it was just art. My family did not have that kind of money. Um, especially an out of state, uh, private art college, yeah. you know? So, um, so I submitted a portfolio and thought, well, you know, see what happens. Right. And, uh, and they got back to me, and I actually got a really good scholarship. I got wow. like one of one of the better scholarships they offered, and um, it was nice. Um, but it only covered about a quarter of my expenses um, total, and it was just like, yeah, even that. But I, you know, I was like, you know, yeah, we'll take it, man. Maybe I'll try out for other stuff, and you know, see what else I can, you know, kind of keep the ball rolling and you know just make it work as we go and so that's ultimately where I, what i ended up doing just because the the scholarship made it super attractive right um, and so All so right, we so, did it so we're looking at we're looking at a few so if, if we're going to take it as like a tree branch right the mm-hmm. first diversion is joining band Second diversion would be um, uh, not joining the National Guard, right? Mm-hmm. And then the third one would be not doing uh, science science school. That's a thing, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, all right, because you did do. Uh, I could have become a Scientologist. Nice. I hear there's a accreditation for that in some schools. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So California, maybe. Yeah. Okay, this is fun. So there, we have a few things that we can play around with, um, but this is exciting. Oh, do you have? Um, do you have siblings? I do. Yeah. Are you where? Where do you fall in the order of the siblings? I'm the oldest. Oldest. Yeah. My little brother's uh, about four and a half years younger than me. Okay. Um, Is it you two? Just you two? Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. We've and then grown for- a lot more alike, but back then we couldn't have been more different. Yeah. So, Most people were surprised to learn we were actually siblings. So judging by what you've described of yourself, was he like uh, an athletic kid that played sports and hated smart stuff uh he was naturally athletic but he wasn't a joiner so he was never on any kind of team gotcha um he was 
uh, on track to be the youngest trained black belt in the state of Kentucky. Uh, but um, dang. he started he started training in Shaolin when he was really little. I forget how old he was. And um, he had gotten as high up as he could go. He was to the point where he would have to train for his black belt, but the uh, like commission or whatever um, had like a, a rule that uh, you had to be a certain age to be given a black belt. And he was going to have to wait like two or three more years. What? And, and that like, that just burned him out. He was like, I've worked so hard to get here and now you're going to make me just sit still for three years. Wow. And he just quit. And he just quit. Um, oh, no. Yeah. Uh, but he was like hardcore farm kid, like okay. FFA, like, like he's still like, that's what he does for, like he goes and works on his friend's farms for fun. Like when he's done working on his own, <laughs> like, yeah, it's, he just, he loves that stuff. That's what he does. No kidding. All right. Well, this, and then when did you, when did you leave home? Uh, when I was 18, when I went to college. Okay. Cool beans. Have you been gone since? Did you ever uh, make your way back? A lot of people will go off to school and then come back home as like a, a waypoint to figure yeah. out other things. We or... had we had maybe six months after Kara and I got together, mm-hmm. um, where we lived in Kansas and then we were moving back home and we were looking to buy a house, but we weren't sure if that house was going to be in Indiana or Kentucky mm. or where. So we lived with my grandmother for about six months. Okay. And, uh, and yeah, but as far as like, I guess, I mean, that technically was being back home, but it was, a, it was weird because it was like a kind of a temporary, uh, pit stop while we were looking for a house. Okay. But I guess it counts. Yeah. All right. I mean, that makes sense. That makes yeah. sense. Cool. And then, uh, for those of you that might've caught that. <clears throat> mentioned his wife Kara uh, her episode is also up please feel free to check that out that one's called other Kara uh Tony I think we have enough to create a, a nifty little storyline for other Tony so um what happens now is we're going to take a quick break you're hear a little bit of music and when we come back we're going to hear others Tony's adventures and then Tony and I will discuss it we'll talk a little bit about how closely he sees himself in other Tony how closely um, their paths you know went along or how far apart they veered um, but yeah thanks for listening and we'll be right back
All right, welcome back. At this point of the, of the show, I'm gonna read Other Tony, and then we'll get his reaction. Here it goes. Heavy footfalls up the creaky stairs jar Other Tony awake. With a sharp tug, he flings his blanket up and over his head, keeping the creeping sunlight out of his sleepy eyes. The footsteps continue and end with a knock on the door. The pounding would have woke him up if not for the flat-footed pacing. Other Tony's mother calls out, Wake up, boy. Those chickens aren't going to feed themselves. Annoyed and unwilling, Other Tony responds, Yeah, they will. Pretty sure wild chickens aren't just waiting for somebody to come feed them. They go out and find food. Boy, get your ass up and feed those damn chickens. Please? Fine. But they better learn to feed themselves soon. I got things to do. Like what? Sleep? Get, get out of here. Do you want breakfast? Yep. Chicken, Other Tony pipes. Some time later, the bell chimes atop the doorframe leading into J&R. The simple chime heralding every shopper, sitter, snacker, reader that came to spend some time at the local pharmacy. Other Tony fancied the small magazine rack. His old granddad mind, didn't mind. It kept him busy long enough for him to visit with his buddies and enjoy a perfectly average cup of coffee or tea if he was feeling particularly regal. Other Tony, why don't you set up over there and read some of those funnies? Comics, granddad. I don't think these are very funny. Like, this one is about a guy who goes to hell and is sent back to Earth after making a deal with the devil to see his wife, but she married his best friend, who killed him! It's rad. Okay, bud. You go ahead. But you're right. That doesn't sound funny at all. Little other Tony sat complacent in a tiny booth a few feet away from his granddad and poured over the comics. Little gears furiously turning in his head, steam pumping out of his ears and nostrils. The cries of bending steel resonate through his pores. Superimposing his own face over the scarred and broken Al Simmons, Other Tony adventured through the dark world of Spawn as a hero, a villain, a man set on freeing himself of the shackles of this life and the next. Now Other Tony walks in the front door of his family's farm. Resolute, he confidently walks back to the kitchen where he finds his tiny mother staring out the window over a sink. A smile creeps up slightly as she watches her baby boy toiling in a garden he's made. Every morning, that boy creeps out early enough to work with the tiny swath of land he's claimed as his own under the cover of darkness. All he wants are the worms he's promised. Mom, can we talk? Startled, the tiny woman lets out a shriek, loud enough to rattle the glass. Damn it, other Tony, don't you sneak up on me. Laughing through his response, other Tony eeks. I didn't sneak, I still have my shoes on. You were daydreaming out the window, regaining his composure. Anyway, you know how I was planning on joining the National Guard? I mean, what if I didn't? I was, I was talking with one of my buddies, and he asked me why I would, and I just couldn't give him an answer. But he suggested maybe I join the Navy? I could work for their criminal justice arm and maybe come out with enough experience to get a degree in criminal science. I, I wanted to go to school for that anyway. What do you think? I could spend four years in and then come out, 22 years old, ready for the world, some experience in my pocket, and travel on my feet. Stunned, she just looked out at other Tony, unable to say anything. Some time passes. Mom, can you hear me? This fucking phone never works. Mom! Other Tony cries into the galley phone with spotty service on its best day. A seaman in line to use it advises more. Just smack it against the pipe there. Works sometimes. Just not hard enough to crack it. You gotta finesse it. You got those soft hands, don't you? Go on, give it a smack. Hello? Mom, finally. Can you hear me? Other Tony shoots the seaman a look, piercing through his eyes and into his soul. Hey, I'm not coming home. I got stopgapped. They're not letting me go home. The planes, Mom, the, the planes went right into those buildings. I, I can't go home yet. Hello? Other Tony, what are you saying? 
They're keeping me, mom. I'm just an analyst, but they're keeping me. I don't know. Look, I have to go. I'm not coming home. The words heavy fall from his lips and rest on the ears of the seamen behind him, all waiting their turn to break someone's waiting heart. The weight of the truth seems to sink the sub, and it dives deeper and deeper into the black depths below. Other Tony walks the narrow halls, sliding his fingers along the overhead piping, following the right turn, then left, then right again to get to his quarters. He shares a modest room with two men, Stromboli, an Italian kid from Philly. He was born Carl, but he doesn't hate the nickname. It reminds him of home. He gets the top bunk, on account he is tall enough to sit up straight and yet have room between the top of his head and the otherwise low ceiling. Standing about 5'2", he makes up for his stature with heavy weightlifting. Stromboli's job on the uh, sub is sous chef, but he means to be ready, always ready. Santa sleeps in the bottom bunk under Stromboli. Only 28 years old, his hair has already gone white. He keeps a tapered mustache, long devoid of color, and has tat a few tattoos on his upper left arm that say, ho, 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 and fuck you, it's Christmas. Born Jerry, he joined the Navy at 18, only days after his birthday. He graduated early, thinking he would do a tour, earn some money, come back home, and find a career. He had no idea he was such a phenomenal mechanic. He sings carols to the parts down in the engine room and fills the place with so much joy. Everything seems to go his way, no matter what the situation. In the lone bed, other Tony plops down hard. Clenching his fists and grinding his teeth in protest, he holds his breath until he turns blue and nearly passes out. Stars dance on the tip of his nose and fill the room to the beat of truth or death. Other Tony, who goes by Leonardo, sings along quietly. Lies, betrayal, lies, Santa begins to hum. Uh, one of his carols and calmly calls out to other Tony. Uh, Leo, say man, it'll be all right. Just one more tour. Why don't, you, why don't you walk me through one of your sketches again? The slender white-haired man leans forward from his bunk. Other Tony in a moment of rage scolds. What does even fucking matter? I'm not getting off this stupid sub. I'm going to die in a can of tuna, a thousand feet underwater, sink to the bottom, and no one will ever find me. You know, you're going to die too, Santa. Mrs. Claus isn't coming. I don't know. She... She showed me a picture of a friend she made at the bowling alley. She's probably coming just fine. The two laugh heartily, a deep breath in, followed by a he healthy sigh. Once more, in, then out. Other Tony grabs his weathered and oft-used notebook. Each page has hundred sketches on it. The weight requirements for each seaman kept other Tony from keeping reams of paper and stacks of notebooks. Instead, he would sketch softly whatever was crawling through his mind, photograph it, erase it, and start fresh. He earned his nickname from the thousand, from his notebook of 10,000 sketches. He flips through until he finds it, the one page that has never been erased, the one sketch that has survived hundreds of eraser apocalypses. Describe it to me. Why, Santa, you've heard this a hundred times by now. It's my favorite. I'm sure we could all use a bit of leavening. Levity. No, leavening. A pick-me-up. Pretty sure it's still levity. Fine, levity. Just tell me. All right. There's a desk on the right side. It looks like it could belong to a, a detective. The chair is empty. There's a bunch of papers strewn about. Strawn. No, strewn. There's a filing cabinet. The top drawer is open. There's a map in the center of the page. It's a wall next to the door. There are letters on the door. You can read them from the outside, but they're backwards in the drawing. They read, Gabriel, professional finder, loser, knuckle sandwich server. Ha, loser. Shut up. There's, there's a coat rack. On the left side of the page, on it hang a pair of wings. Gabriel's next to the coat rack with a hand extended. He's just put the wings down, you see. He's an angel, a devout angel, always was. The best kind, dutiful, strong, fastidious, facetious. Will you just shut it? 
it's fastidious, okay? Do you even know what those words mean? Carry on. <sighs> Shaking his head, Other Tony continues. Dutiful, strong, fastidious. He was one of the best of them all. But he found out there was no all. It was only ever him. Just him. So he clipped his wings. Only they weren't real. They were fastened to his back. He didn't grow them. The first of his kind, Gabriel, is a genetically perfect human. Well, the parts of him that are human are perfect. He's like 70% machine. Programmed to be God's justice. Only God didn't make him, and he doesn't know who did. So he spends his days as a private detective of sorts. He doesn't set out to solve crimes. He finds things, people, or he dis disappears them. Dude, that's rad. Hey, you got one right. Shut up. The end. That's, that's the story of Other Tony and his adventures. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> so, could you... Did it... Um, well, well, we'll start at the beginning. The, the pharmacy, was it, it was J&R, right? Mm-hmm. That was the... Okay. I had, to, I had to reach out to your moms for help with that. I was, like, trying to do research to find what <laughs> pharmacies were in that town at that time. Yeah. So, yeah, that's great. Yeah. So, um, what can you see any of yourself in that story? Mm, yeah, I mean, I I definitely can, you know, especially like, I mean, I remember uh, September first. Mm -hmm. uh, I was in college, and I woke up to. Uh, woke up to go to class and I was watching um, Big Guy and Rusty came on every day on mm -hmm. Fox. Um, yeah. And it was based on one of my favorite comics. And uh, I woke up to watch the cartoon before I went to class. And instead of getting the cartoon, I got the news coverage for that shit. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. um, and so uh, I remember thinking like there's, like I'm not going to class today. There's way more important stuff in the world, and uh, yeah, I I could imagine you know having basically that reaction if I were, um, you know, if I'd signed on for something that I thought was just going to be you know like kind mm -hmm. of passive duty or whatever, and it ended up stuck in that. Uh, yeah, I definitely would be <laughs> real angry and real. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, kind of despondent, I guess. Mm -hmm. I know we had talked about you, uh, um, like having the mindset of potentially joining the National Guard. Had you ever considered it joining joining like a full time branch of the military? Um, no, I hadn't. Honestly, um, not that it really would have mattered. I mean, I got cousins that were in the National Guard that ended up deployed for years. Wow. So, no you know, it, it mm -hmm. wouldn't have mattered if you were full-time or not. There were tons of people from Kentucky and everywhere else that got, you know, that were yeah, just part-timers that ended up deployed on all kinds of tours. So hmm. okay. probably would have panned out the same either way. <laughs> <laughs> just might have. Just might have. Especially around that time. I knew a kid that he joined up... Um, just 
like in, in like 98 when we graduated and I met him again at our like 10 year reunion and it was just supposed to be, Oh, I just want money for like school or whatever. But he was still in then. And as far as I know, he's still in now, um, which is a trip because like right at the tail end when he should have been getting out, he had something kept him in. So I'll back in. Yeah. So, um, so, uh, I, I, imagine I will say, uh, what? it would be kind of, I mean, it's kind of ironic. Like I, I have this <laughs> Popeye tattoo. Yeah. That's my first ever tattoo. Uh, and Karen always laughs at Kara always laughs at me because anytime we go out on the ocean, I get sick immediately. Uh, I'm like the world's worst sailor. <laughs> I'm, oh, no. I'm out on a boat. I'm out on the sea for like five minutes and I'm barfing over the edge. Like, every oh, time. No. oh so no. That made, that made me laugh when, when I had signed, it's exactly what the type of shit I would have, you know, done thinking like, yeah. Oh yeah, I'll join the Navy cause it's Popeye. And then you know, just barfing like just sick, sick every day. <laughs> That's great. That's hilarious. That is so funny. Uh, so, uh, for those of you yeah. who can't see, he has an anchor tattoo on his right forearm, uh, right about I guess where Popeye would have had his. That's hilarious. Though. Standard Popeye placement. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's great. the first tattoo I ever knew I wanted because I, I I was obsessed with Popeye as a kid and I would draw it on my arm like every day in the spot. In yeah. Pan like since I was about six years old and then when I got old enough I, I was like. We were in Texas one day with some friends after a Comic-Con and we had like a day to kill and we were bored and uh, like, what do you guys want to do? And I think Carol said, let's go get tattoos. And so our friend huh. uh, said, yeah, I got a buddy who's apprenticing. We can get, uh, we can go get free ones because he needs to practice. And so nice. <laughs> that's what we did. <laughs> <laughs> Your first tattoo is an anchor. I love it. That's fantastic. That's so hilarious. I don't, maybe it's like subconscious that I, seen that and that kind of I chose the Navy because in the back of my mind I knew you had that tattoo mm. um, I don't know but that's so funny that's but I, I'm like the world's shittiest sailor oh that's great <laughs> that's great now is it like that first dip or is it when you get out there like your brain is like bro you're out to sea you're gonna drown it's when it stops it's when the boat stops out on the water like when we're mm. moving I'm fine as soon as okay. it stops it's like I've never been on a big boat, like a ship, so it's probably not the same on a ship, mm -hmm. but like like a fishing vessel, right. uh, it's like you get the big swells, but then you also get the little chops, Yeah. and together, like uh, I, can I can handle the chops when we're moving, right. but uh, when we stop the big swells on top of it, it just turns my stomach over and I'm done. <laughs> oh no. So you've never been on a cruise then? Mm-mm. No. I, I can't no, imagine. Not very apt to ever do it now. <laughs> right. Now, I think that ship has sailed if we're using water puns. Um, yeah, I can't imagine on a, on a giant cruise that you would feel too much of that. Because I... I yeah, it seems I, like the, the big monolith would be a lot more, I don't know, a lot less uh, susceptible to, like, the movements, yeah, the little movements. movements. Oh, man. So do you think if you would have chosen any other like profession or 
school outside of art school, do you think maybe you still would have been heavy sketching and trying to draw and create? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, if I, I mean, even if I had gone into sciences, I probably would have been, you know, artistically driven most mm -hmm. of the time because it's all I've ever really done. And, you know, mm -hmm. I don't even know that I would have, you know, been cut out for it. Um, I, I don't know, like, if art would have always kind of been this, like, mistress that, you know, would eventually break me down and I'd end up going that way anyway. But, yeah, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'd also considered um, uh, Tom Savini has a, a special effects school up in uh, oh. Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. And um, I thought that would be a pretty cool one because I was super into horror movies and special effects and stuff. So I thought yep. maybe maybe that would be a direction to go. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, yeah. Okay. Do you think, uh, but I would have been, truth, what I was gonna say, it would have been, it probably would have been art regardless. Yeah. Eventually. Mm -hmm. I always feel like, uh, people that, that choose art as a profession or is like a major part of like who they are as older. I, I feel like they always would have ended up either chasing that in some part or like frustrated in life until they found that. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know. There's just that, that, that little bit inside of you. That's like a maker has to come out in some way, you know? So I just imagine. Yeah, that, I think that. so. It's, it's this like, you know, um, it's a siren on the rocks. that's always kind of calling you over there mm -hmm. and you're either going to go do it or, you know, I mean, you're just going to get called over there eventually, regardless. Some, yeah. of, some of us just steer the boat right into the rocks and, yeah. and say, fuck it, here we go. Um, <laughs> and some of us do our best to avoid it our whole lives and then end up mm -hmm. there anyway. Yeah. Um, or go crash yeah. into something else. And All right. I love reading stories about like 80-year-old first-time painters, you know, that are like <laughs> super talented that just figured out like, ah, oh, I finally just decided to go for it and I'm phenomenal, you know, and I, I love those. I'm like, oh man. What, yeah. What I mean, it's that thing? never too late kind of feeling, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. I don't know. Like I, I always, um, I'd like, I mean, I'm 41 right now and mm -hmm. I regret that I haven't really written stuff for myself at this age. Hmm. And then I think how late a start, like Mark Twain got and right. other people like I, you know, I'm not, anywhere near like that level of uh, aptitude or um you know command of the language or anything but I, mm. you know i think well you know like plenty of people have gotten later starts than me and probably done you know just yeah. fine so yeah i, think I don't know maybe it'll, maybe it'll work if you start picking up writing i think you're you have so many years of practiced expression getting what's inside of your head out you know, kind of shaping it, tweaking it, tooling it, and honing that. I think once you start getting words on paper, it'll kind of feel about the same, I think. Yeah, yeah. And I think I've had the benefit of working with really good writers throughout my career mm -hmm. that, like, at least I have a sense of what good writing looks like. Yeah. Um, so I just uh, look at it and go, does this look like that or does this look like shit? Um, right. Uh, 
and and most of those guys are you know we're on good terms so we can you know i can send it to them and they can tell me if i should just hide in shame and never <laughs> let anyone see this that's fair but um yeah so it's nice when people are honest with you right <laughs> i mean it's a requirement for me i can't handle it any other way right <laughs> even if it even if it's brutal like i would prefer mm. it to be brutal than to be a sugar-coated lie yeah yeah when i first started acting and i would get feedback i hated when people were like oh that was that was good i'm like no i feel like it wasn't just tell me tell me why it wasn't you know let's let, let's right. talk through it exactly. you know help me figure this out you know so yeah no i get that the honesty is is imperative uh, that's why, I, like, I stopped um, when I would like write things when I was younger. I stopped giving them to my parents to look over because mm. they would always say, "Oh, that's so good. You're so good." I'm like, "No, shut up. Stop." I mean, yeah. thank you, parents. You're being sweet to your child, but I'm like trying to get feedback here, and mm-hmm. so, oh man, that's fun. All right. So, is yeah. there was there anything else in the story that struck you that? tickled you anything like that mm, i mean i don't know i i enjoyed that he was like cooking up a story um you know like there was just this like the storytelling kind of thing cooking inside of him mm-hmm. um so i think you know ultimately like whatever it is i'm doing that's what i focus on is telling stories um whether mm-hmm. it's comics or even when it's like a, a single illustration, you know, like a, a cover or whatever, like I, I'm less of a, like a graphic designer. Um, so even in my still images and comic covers and stuff, I still kind of focus on setting up a vignette that tells some sort of a little story, um, yeah. you know, more like the NC Wyeth kind of right. illustrators. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, that's whatever medium I'm playing in. That's, that's what I like to, that's what I like the most. I mean, it's why I like, you know, the country music that I listen to. It's, um, it's all stories, but everything in my life is a story. That's what I love. Right. Awesome. So Speak, speaking of storytelling, you nailed that. Yeah, right on. That's good to hear. Uh, you recently, uh, got your first taste in directing. How was that mm-hmm. for you? It was intense, but it was awesome. Um, it was, I don't know how to describe, I mean, other than like, I felt like I was doing a lot of heavy lifting for a long time and I didn't know how it was going to pan out to the point where I wasn't doing all of it. Um, hmm. But once I got the storyboards wrapped up, which was basically just, I mean, I'm sure you're familiar with what storyboards are everybody yeah. else uh, it's basically just like comic book illustrations uh mm-hmm. that are all the same shape like a movie screen and uh mm-hmm. so i had storyboarded the whole video you know i like wrote out concepted it and uh, quote unquote wrote the video mm-hmm. um and then storyboarded the whole thing and then cut those storyboards together in time with the music um and handed it to the animators who then turned it around and you know were giving me rough cuts of the animation that I then approved. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was, it was weird. I mean, I, I've described it a few places as, um, 
like my whole career, I felt like I'm, I've been gathering puzzle pieces. And like, just when I think I know what the picture is going to be, mm-hmm. I get another, I get another piece that changes the whole thing. Oh, and wow. um, that's kind of what this was, you know, like, uh, you know, along the way, all the little skills that I've had to pick up, you know, from, from doing different things, um, you know, they never really seemed like they were all part of the same picture until I got this. Mm-hmm. And then next thing I know, like everything that I've done kind of all had a place to be used, you know, everything from, you know, storytelling to like the limited amount of animation I've ever done mm-hmm. to, you know, like color theory and, um, you know, cinematography, you know, all, all the storytelling stuff that I'd use in comics. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Plus like the, you know, like I said, color theory and, and that type of stuff from, from art school mixed all the way back with like, you know, being in marching band when I was in high school, you know, like initially I had to get a visual idea of how much time, mm. you know, like space I had for any given scene. Yeah. And I needed like a visual representation of what that was. Mm-hmm. And so I sat and tapped out sheet music uh, for the song. Oh no! Which you know, like a, like a perfect, like a real musician or somebody yeah. could have probably done that in like an afternoon. And it took me an easy full day to do it, like mm-hmm. a day and a half, okay. probably almost two. Um, and then, like immediately after, it was leading into Emmy's. Well, maybe it was around the holidays. I forget. But. No, it was around Emmy's birthday. But anyway, a friend of ours came up who was a music teacher down in Kentucky. Mm-hmm. And she looked over the music and she's like, yeah, this was great. How long did this take you? And I was like, oh, I don't know, like a day and a half maybe? And she was like, you realize I, I could have done this for you in about 20 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, you know, which they both would have gotten done at the same time if I had waited sure. for her to do it in 20 minutes. I- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, oh, that's funny. But anyway. No, so it was nice. So it was um, it was really cool, and um, you know, I think uh, you know, having having worked on the assembly line process of comics for long enough, um, you know, I'm used to interacting with people who kind of pick up the ball and run with it, you know, mm-hmm. different stages, but then also have to kind of keep like a end goal vision intact. Right. And usually with comics, I don't necessarily have like the uh, quote unquote authority to do that. Um, okay. you know, cause I'm not really the one in charge. I'm just the guy who's at the beginning of the assembly line. Mm, that doesn't okay. necessarily mean I get to like call the artistic shots. Mm-hmm. Um, but this was a project where I, I did like I, I had the reins. And so yeah. I got to set the thing in motion and then steer it the whole process through. And, you know, I mean, I was, I was pretty exacting. I, you know, the, Animators have been pretty gracious, um, but I'm sure at several points they really wanted to strangle me because they'd send stuff in and I would, I would just run it back through the, you know, just send it back over and over um, wow. until we got it right. Because if it didn't feel right, I didn't want to put it out. That's fair. And, uh, That's fair. Um, you know, so is it kind of a balance? I mean, like, uh, you know, comics and, you know, this kind of hermit lifestyle of being a freelancer does not necessarily lend itself to having a lot of like really great uh, people management skills. So, um, 
hopefully, I mean, they, you know, I mean, they, they still return my emails, even though this thing's been over for, you know, about a month now. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> so that's good. So right I, I guess I didn't piss them off too much. Right on. But yeah. Cool beans. That's exciting for you, man. I was, I was, I was really happy to hear, um, that you had gotten into that. You had mentioned something like that when we saw you last, mm -hmm. like around the holidays. And then seeing the finished product, it was it was super fun. And it looked just like uh, something that you would create. Like I could see your style throughout all of it. So it was it was super fun for me Thanks, man. To, to be able to Thanks. watch that. I was real happy. And all right. The, you haven't really mentioned it by name, but it, for your listeners there, it's I directed the music video for... Tyler Childers' uh, "Country Squire" song, which you can yeah. find on find on YouTube. But yeah, it was fun. I mean, yeah, like I said, getting getting to be hands on from the beginning. You know, like the models all felt like my cartoons, mm -hmm. and then you know the the storyboarding. Like I'd make sure that all the you know the body language and stuff was the the way I would cartoon it, and then. Mm -hmm. You know, just can't. I don't know. It was it was really wild being such a new medium to me, um, but like the end product. Like I worried along the whole way that you know, like my personal voice would kind of get lost in it. But um, mm -hmm. just that's been one of the biggest uh, bits of uh, feedback that a lot of my friends have given me is that they they say that, like it it still has my my voice like all over it. Which oh yeah makes me really happy because uh, sure. that was one of my biggest worries beyond oh, yeah. that it just sucked in general but <laughs> no i mean luckily it didn't suck i mean it's a, it's a really good song and so uh i think the, the the visual representation of the song was choice it was right on on point and the the art style was was lovely it was yeah it's it's top notch Thanks, check man. it out everybody um and with that we will bring this episode of Other Tony to a close. Uh, Tony, where can we find you on social media, and what else? Uh, what else are you working on right now? Anything you can talk uh, about? Well, well, uh, I'm doing some comic covers for Marvel. That's most of my like uh, job job stuff mm -hmm. um, right now. Last couple of years, I've kind of um, not. I've made it a point to not really load up my dance card with a lot of like definite schedule stuff because um, I'm just kind of riding the wave. Um, I'm trying to, you know, steer a couple promising leads uh, into mm -hmm. some place that that they could turn into something, hopefully. Um, mm -hmm. But until then, I'm just kind of, you know, like riding on, you know, the few. I mean, I, I can float on on the covers for quite a while and that works pretty good i mean my cost of living is fairly low because i'm out in the middle of nowhere mm -hmm. so i can i can subs subsist on those um but uh yeah for the most part you know like the, all the work i've done with tyler over the last like year it started as a cover and then it went into like a little animation and then a comic book and then like a whole bunch of uh concert posters and uh, and then now this, um, so like, I don't know, I don't know what's going to happen. That might be the end of the road. Uh, right. but okay. if it's not, I want to, I, I don't want to be so tied down that I couldn't jump, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, if I, if I had taken on 
like drawing a, a monthly series or something, you know, back then, like none of that other stuff could have happened like for the last right. year and having that regularity and that, you know, something you can bank on was, mm -hmm. it's nice and it's super attractive. Like it's really hard to turn that down knowing that you've got a regular paycheck coming. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, like it felt like it wasn't the time for that. I, like I needed, I needed to be in a slightly more fluid place, even if it was scarier. And mm. I'm really glad that that I made that choice. Yeah. But, really. uh, but yeah, on social media, I'm on um, I'm on Facebook. Um, you can just search for Colonel Tony Moore. I'm also Colonel Tony Moore on Instagram, and uh, I'm. Tony Moore on Twitter, although I I have not really been on it um, mm -hmm. for uh, about a year now. Mm. I don't know. As time okay. drags on, the the less I enjoy being on social media. Ah, so that's, I don't know. I feel, that's fair. I feel like I feel like I should get off Facebook altogether. It'd probably be great for my mental health, but yeah, I just can't make myself do it. I can't disconnect that fully. Mm -hmm. <laughs> cool beans. Right on. All right, but I'm so out this there. Is, uh, this has been um, Other Tony in the series uh, from the Other You podcast. Thanks again, Tony. Appreciate having you oh, on. Oh, thank you. Thanks for Come having back. me, man. Yeah, no sweat. Glad to. <laughs> Come back next week, everybody. Um, but for now, bye bye. <laughs>